Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, we have another powerful and engaging story of recovery to share with you all. Catherine is here to tell us about her experience with an eating disorder and recovery. Catherine is a 31-year-old woman living with her husband and children in Minnesota. She enjoys cooking, hosting friends, teaching music, and getting lost in nature. She's best known for her big heart and passion for life. Catherine also lives in a large body and advocates for people to take up more space. We are so excited to have you join us today, Catherine. It means so much to us that you're here, and we are so excited about you sharing your story with our listeners. So let's dive in. Yeah, let's just get to the good stuff right away. All right. So we want to spend most of our time talking about recovery. That's really the area of focus. But let's start a little earlier in your story. So before you were diagnosed with an eating disorder, how would you have described your relationship with food? You know, honestly, it's it's kind of hard reflecting back about what food used to mean to me, because now I have complete freedom from food. It comes in and out of my life how it pleases, and it, it doesn't really leave me feeling empty anymore. And But to answer your question, I would say my relationship with food before recovery was that food was my higher power. It affected my emotions. It controlled everything. Food was always the focus. Um, whether I was getting together with friends or family or what I was going to do with my day. Food was at the absolute center of it and it was suffocating. And, and I tried to find comfort in food, um, but it just, it wasn't working. Yeah, I think that experience is shared by so many people and it feels sometimes like it's somehow our fault that that's happening. Like it's weird to blame for that. How was that experience for you in terms of where were you in that? Like, why is this happening to me? Or did it even seem like a, an issue for you? How did that feel? It felt really lonely. I um, spent decades, I mean, truly decades, 20 plus years of my life trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I, I thought it was a possible addiction to sugar or food or low self-worth or just a, something was flawed internally within me. How, how come I could never figure it out? Why couldn't I make healthy choices? Why, how come I never had the control to change my body the way I wanted it to change? And it, it turns out that it wasn't me. It was actually this thing called an eating disorder. <laughs> oh, figure. It just, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, people don't walk around with a, a broken arm thinking like, oh, it's just, you know, why can't I get this arm thing right? And it must be my, you know, I just must be flawed that my arm is just so, you know, so broken. But we do that with, with eating disorders in a way that we don't do with other things. So something must have, have changed? Like, how did you realize that it, there might actually be something else like that broken arm? Maybe this is something that needs some care and is a thing that's not your fault. 
how did you how did you know how did that work that there there maybe is something bigger going on to attend to well it uh it wasn't a discovery that i made it came from my closest people around me i was starting to share how severe some of my symptoms were getting and they they could see the the change in my mental health and kind of what was happening with my spirit. Usually I'm so lively and energetic and just that uh, it was starting to fade a little bit. And I was talking with my husband and I was just like, I'm so broken. What is wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? What is happening? And he looked at me and said, Catherine, what if it's not you? you know, what if it's something else and just ding, 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 all these light bulbs went off in my mind. And, you know, and then I just immediately called the insurance company because we do have to network through, you know, or navigate through that system um, to figure out what my options were. But it just, there was this huge wave of relief. And as I'm talking about it now, I'm also remembering a huge wave of doubt that um, even if we were going to explore this new avenue, there could still be a possibility that I would still end up being broken on the other side. And I think that type of mindset came from so much of what I tried in our diet culture, you know, of like, if you do this, then you will get this. So there was a lot of doubt. Um, but when I called the Emily program and had that first conversation, it was kind of like a warm hug. And I think I started believing then that um, I, I kept a journal. And the very first thing that I wrote down was the person that I spoke with on the phone said, all food is good food. And that's kind of what I held on to until I had my intake meeting. And I remember thinking, how could that be? But in that same moment, I realized, wow, perhaps my thoughts are a little disordered. <laughs> because food is, it's, it is just food. But I put so many other things with it. And so that's, that's just how that kind of turned out. That's how it started. Yeah, I, I really want to echo that, that what you're describing about that first phone call, I think so many people feel that way. It's it's nerve wracking, they're anxious. The, what if the person on the other end of the phone says, why are you calling? Nothing's wrong with you. Uh, that self-doubt that you spoke to of, is this really, a, should I be doing this? So I, I think it's your story is such a beautiful illustration of the relief that you can feel by connecting with somebody who says, yeah, I, I see you. And this is a problem. It's not your fault. I, I love that part of that uh, journey you took us on. And, and of course, that's not like the thing that makes it all better and everything's, you know, super easy and great from there. And what a beautiful first step to get that support right away of saying like, yes, we understand. Turns out you're right. It is a thing and we can help you with that thing. And we're so glad you called. So then you, you sort of start the process. And for some people, that part of the process of, of you know, getting a diagnosis of an eating disorder um, makes sense. Some people, it doesn't really make sense. How is the process for you to get that eating disorder diagnosis? Did it make sense? Did it click right away? Did it take some time? 
Uh, how did you process that information? Um, well, I remember that I showed up half an hour early and it was still pitch black out. And I, my heart was beating so fast in my chest because when you are a person who's suffering, you look for hope anywhere. And I just, I needed this to be true. Otherwise, what, what was I going to do if I was going to still end up being the broken person on the other side? And um, I walked in and it was nothing but warm vibes and, you know, fill out some of this paperwork and then we'll get you back to the intake room. And as we're going through the questions, um, it's a variety of questions about symptoms, kind of your life story, everything like that. And I was just casually talking about it because it had been my norm for so long. And um, the person doing my intake said, well, hold on what, what, or, you know, like just really checking with me because I was talking so comfortably about my symptoms. And at that point, it was another realization of, whoa, okay, these behaviors that I'm doing are not normal. And um, we, we kept going through the intake. And at the very end, she said, yes, Catherine, you have these, this, this combination of eating disorders and I was sitting on the couch and I started crying. I, I knew that um, I had gotten the answer that I was looking for or like uh, found the path that I needed to find. So there was a huge sense of relief, but also it started this huge sense of panic of, um, okay, now I have this truth about myself, but what next? How can I possibly undo 20 plus years of what has happened to me and it just it she, she calmed me down and said these are the next steps that we're going to do and so it was really quite an emotional meeting um but yes I had major relief that I wasn't flawed and there was eye-opening and I, I knew that I was on the right path that's awesome and, and for some people that, yeah, that getting the diagnosis is a relief for others, it's really challenging for others still, it's sort of a mix of those feelings or something different every minute of the next few days, sometimes incredibly different. So that kind of varies across people. I think we could probably all agree that the, the next steps, the recovery part is pretty challenging. Right, that that's a, a very rewarding, I think you'll, you'll tell us, and you've told us already, it's a rewarding challenge, but it's hard. It just is hard. So let's talk about some of the obstacles of your recovery. Were there times that you felt your eating disorder was invalidated, maybe because of your specific diagnosis or because of your body size, other things that just felt invalidating to you in that recovery process? Yes, to the question that you asked. Um, I want to jump back. There was a, a, a transition between getting the diagnosis news and starting recovery. I had to put myself out there for my small community because I'm a mom. My husband works a unique shift. I had two young kids at home. I needed people to be able to step in and help with my children and get my family going so that I could do a recovery program. And that was 
very challenging because I texted my closest people and said, we're having an emergency family meeting tonight. And everybody showed up, but I had to tell this story of why everybody was there and what we were going to do and what I needed help with. And I don't, I don't think I quite felt invalidated. I felt something else. The word isn't, isn't quite coming yet. Vulnerable. And if, if I'm sharing these vulnerabilities about myself, I made myself feel partially invalidated because I still didn't believe it yet. That was a really unique part of this because I needed people. I could no longer keep it a secret. But it was so hard because if I included these people, that means that I had to believe it starting at that moment. And I am in a larger body. I don't know very much about eating disorders. This has been my life for 20 plus years. I was invalidating myself because of everything that I've been taught with society and diet culture and so yes, I guess I was the very first person that made myself feel invalidated, but I turned it around quite quickly because I had to. Um, so I just wanted to say that, and now I can get back to your your other question. That's really that's really helpful. I think that, and I would just say that, you know, you said you were the first person that invalidated yourself. I just want to really highlight that, like this society and the diet culture we live in, that's so invalidating for us as humans and so that pressure and that message is so ubiquitous that it makes sense that you went there and it's a beautiful story you have of what happens next I think so we can show that it is possible that despite all that ugh, there are lots of words for that junk that's out there <laughs> yeah there is, I just think there is hope. So thank you for sharing that vulnerability and for highlighting that because I think it's so important to really underscore that it's, you know, there's so many messages that are so hard to manage. They become, they feel like they're part of us, but they are just messages we're being fed that are unhelpful. So thank you. And, and uh, I'll let you get back to sort of your kind of conversation about obstacles and all of that. So you keep going. I struggled in in particular groups of IOP that I was in. As we know, people are always coming and leaving and changing programs. And so the groups were always looking different. And when I first arrived in IOP um, specific to body sizes, the, the group was a, a healthy balance, kind of representation of many different body sizes. And I felt uh, seen and that I, I had a space in the group. And as the weeks went on, um, my fellow recovery buddies in larger bodies, they, they moved on to transition programs. And I was the only person left in a larger body. And it was that way for about three weeks. And um, that was the lowest point in my recovery. I I felt like I was um, everybody's living nightmare of everybody else in the room. This was me projecting, you know, my deepest, darkest fears. 
Um, and I felt like everybody else in the room had achieved what I had always wanted. And again, this is all disordered thinking. I realized that after a couple of weeks of flirting with those ideas and, um, my therapist, she was like, Catherine, you are you go take up the space, you know, that you need to take up. And that was, I needed to switch some thoughts that I had going on in my mind. Um, but that was a pivotal moment in recovery of it doesn't matter who's recovering around me. This is my, my story, my time, my healing. I'm here for me. And so I started taking up a lot of space and my healing was, was back on, you know, that huge roundabout all over the place track. But, um, that was a point in the program where I did feel invalidated because I was in an isolated situation. That was tough. Yeah, that, that sounds tough. I mean, that's the, there's so much vulnerability in the midst of treatment and recovery to have that experience in the space. That's the place you're trying to get help is really difficult. How about other comments or things you perceived maybe from outside of your treatment experience, other people in your world or other people that you interfaced with in healthcare or anywhere else around uh, this new path that you were on. For some people I know they go talk to their primary care doctor who's outside of the treatment setting and don't get quite the reception they want or they mention it to a, a maybe not as close of a friend and they get a comment that's really not helpful. Did you have any of those experiences? Yes, I had a wide variety of them um, from people who truly know me and love the authentic Catherine. When I would say it, there was always a pause and please tell me more. And how has this changed your life? And what can I do to support you? Those are the keepers. I still have those people. Um, and then, and then I told maybe just a couple other casual friends and it left me feeling vulnerable and dirty um, because it could have been that they just didn't know what to say or they didn't understand or didn't know how to handle it or you know it um those those conversations were harder to have i wanted people to know because this is it's a it's a for me it's when i wake up to when i go to sleep type healing that has to happen so i wanted people outside of my core circle to know. And um, so now they know, but they're not a part of, they're not a part of my supportive circle. And, and that's fine. That's just a distinction that not everybody can be here supporting me, you know? Um, so that was the lesson I had to learn. My recovery is in all of my medical files with all the various doctors that I see and some people check in about it for other people it's just information that they have about me um but my obstetrician she said she's heard nothing but good things from the emily program and they refer a lot of their patients over there and um i'm, I'm expecting another baby so that's why i bring up my obstetrician and uh she told me that she can tell a difference 
in me now that I have gone through recovery with this pregnancy versus the other two. Um, Cause I had my other two children before being in the recovery program and uh, it was really hard. I wasn't getting the care that I needed. I was felt like this flawed, broken human. And uh, so it was really encouraging to kind of have this full circle conversation with her about, no, I can see the change in you, Catherine. Wow, this is such a healthy pregnancy and you're so lively and happy. And so I, I really had a fair share of responses from people. Well, you certainly did. And that is, that's a, a beautiful story and congratulations. We're so excited for you and so excited and excited in a million ways, but excited that <laughs> this can be a different experience for you. What a, what an amazing part of your healing. That's, that's beautiful. Other advice or resources you found that you here you are getting some of these amazing responses and then maybe some less helpful, less amazing responses. Other advice or resources you'd share that you found particularly helpful navigating those challenges? Um, I only found a couple because this is another unique barrier in my situation of being in a larger body and having um, been diagnosed with atypical anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. Um, people have assumed that because I'm in a larger body that the main culprit is binge eating disorder. And that's a part of my story too, but that's not, not my main story. And I remember trying to very carefully comb through social media to try to find some inspirational people who had stories such as mine. I couldn't find hardly anybody. And um, so that was a huge barrier and also a motivation for me to be this voice for people, but it was another isolating factor. And it, depending on how I was feeling for the day, it, uh, I felt lonely and all those doubts crept back in of this is not a real thing. You know, you are, you, you don't belong in these categories. And, and then I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, a, the plus size model named Tess Holiday. She recently um, told all of her, her fans that she has been diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. And I'm a little ashamed to admit that my first reaction was what I was taught from society of no way, you know, look at you. And I immediately was like, no, that is not authentic, Catherine. This is your story. You and Tess have this thing in common and I was already following her and now I really follow her <laughs> um, because she in so many different ways I needed somebody like her for years did that answer the question <laughs> it did totally I think it underscores the the well a couple things you know highlighting your what you said about having to search very carefully on social media it sort of highlights the some of the pluses and minuses of social media messaging, and you can get down a really not helpful rabbit hole pretty quickly. Uh, and also that stories like Tess's and yours, which are common stories, but not commonly heard or told stories, is really part of the challenge, right? That there are 
millions of people out there with that kind of story and very few readily accessible stories of that you can read on social media. So I really resonate with how hard it is to find, mm -hmm. you know, sort of find your story in somebody else. But we know that there are so many people struggling with that same experience. So I, I, I'm so glad you found a story and I hope that, that, you know, in some small way we can contribute to more of those stories being out there so that the next time somebody looks, they find a little bit more because they, they need to know they're not alone because they're not, right? The stories mm -hmm. are just hard to find. So let's talk about life now. Like now is cool and you got a lot of things going on. How does your current relationship with food and movement compare to the one that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation that you, that you lived for so many years? How is it now? I feel like I am the most authentic version of myself that I have ever been. When things start to fall apart in my life, I turn to taking care of myself. I go do some mindful movement. I cook a nutritious, delicious meal that brings me comfort. There's balance in my life. There, there is no um, controlling factors. There, there are no controlling factors anymore. Freedom is probably the best word. And now I energetically take up as much space as I need. I make sure that all of my needs are met. Um, people in my closest circle, they're on the same page with me. And they, they all really loved me going through recovery, not just for my sake, but because when people grow and heal around you, you can't help but grow and heal yourself. Um, and yeah, I, ju I just keep going back to that word of freedom. I, I just get to be me. There are no more lingering clouds of doubt or anything like that. I'm, I'm living. I just, I just get to live now. That is, is amazing and, and possible. I think that's another piece we want to underscore that that is possible, that freedom that you're describing so beautifully is possible. And that leads me to my, my last question, I think, for you today of, you know, we talk a lot about the, the lack of stories out there and that feeling alone and the, how difficult it is to make that first phone call and the experience that people often have of like, it's, you know, great. That's, you know, somebody might be listening right now saying, great, Catherine, that's fantastic. Super excited for you. That's never going to be my story. That's never going to work for me. It might've worked for you, but I, I, I'm different. My eating disorder is different. I just, I'm not going to get there. What would you tell that person who's struggling with that right now? I would say to anybody struggling to choose healing above anything else that living life the way you have been and choosing a path of recovery, they're both extremely hard. But from my experience, it was way harder to keep struggling than to choose a life of healing. And they both wanted to take up space in my life. They were both hard. I felt like I was going to crack and you know tumble under both of them but healing, healing wins. It just does. Cause you're doing it for yourself. So I would say both are hard, but choose healing. However, it needs to look to you at whatever pace, choose healing. 
that is so well said. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Catherine. We really appreciate your, your story, your inspiring, it's beautiful, your vulnerability. You're really demonstrating that people aren't alone, that there's, there are a lot of people that share this. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. You're very welcome and thank you for having me. You're welcome, our pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.